welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. Hello, everyone. We are ecstatic to have you back here with us. Uh, we are live on Twitch right now. For those of you that are listening to us on other services like, uh, you know, say Apple Podcasts or Google or possibly, you know, any of the other services that you can find us on, occasionally we do live stream and we do so on Twitch. And you will have ample warning if you consider ample warning to be anywhere between five minutes and a few hours before we do so. Uh, no, you put something up earlier. Today I did. I did about uh, eight hours ago. Yeah, you know, I, I gave a little bit of a little bit of a, a, a mention Done. as to what's going on. But we are back with another of our, you know, walks through history. That's why I think of it: the, the history of comic book movies. Yes, this is our ninth installment of this, and you would think after nine installments, if you weren't uh, somebody that watched a lot of these movies, that we'd be getting close to the uh, modern day. And depending upon how you look at it, we kind of are. Uh, we are into 2003. I, I mean, some people had cell phones then. Yeah, yeah. So to remind those that may be coming into this new, uh, what we mean by comic book movie, uh, it is something that you can, in a way, see described in our fact page to our brand mm. new Ultimate Comic Movie Database tool. Well, wait, hold on. Tell me more. Well, this this particular tool allows you to to look at any actor, any director that has ever been associated with a comic movie. And that's not just comic books and graphic novels, that's comic strips. Anything from the late 1800s to today, we have the information. Now, some information is definitely going to overlap between different places, but we're very specialized. So if you want to know specifically about comic movies, this is the place to find it. In fact, not only can you know that it's just about comic movies, you can make your search very specific. I want to know which comic movies came out between the years of 2005 and 2007. Done. You can do that. I want to know if uh, Joss Whedon ever worked with, uh, let's say, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, put those two into the database and it will tell you anytime mm. if they have ever worked together. Hint, those two have not. <laughs> what if I want to know how many times a certain person has been in a comic book movie? Plain and simple. Absolutely. You can look at our top 100 list that you can customize. Do you count everything like I do? Or are you more interested in just modern day stuff? You're not really interested in silent movies or uh, shorts. You don't count when they're uncredited or whatever. You can completely customize your top 100 list and it'll Ooh. tell you how many productions they've been in. You can look at what it is, where it comes from, the comic it was based on, the artist, the author. It's all in one place. Sounds like somebody, some people put a lot of work into this. Yes, yes. Some some people definitely put uh, more than uh, more than a lot of time <laughs> into this, almost a, a year. And it's going to be an ongoing thing. And in fact, we're going to potentially expand it if it is interesting enough to people just let us know in the comments on our webpage, on one of our social media accounts. Let us know what you think. Tell all of your friends because I really think this is something neat. It's a conversation starter, maybe an argument ender. Very cool. Now, one question. Where can this be found at? Well, it's right on our web, pi uh, web, web page. It's on our web page. 
It's on www.everybodylovespudding.com. Just click the link for the Ultimate Comic Movie Database, and it will give you all sorts of options. Sounds easy enough. Very much so. But on to, uh, on to our description more in total. Obviously, we're going to keep this brief because we had that little segue there, so keep it simple. Yep. It must have been a comic first before it was anything else, period. How about that? Most of everybody has already heard <laughs> other episodes of this. Fair enough. Yep. So, so, so they've got the minutiae. <clears throat> but, uh, well, let's, let's get into it. 2003, we have seven, count them, seven comic book movies that came out in this particular year. Quite a few of them watchable. Yeah, absolutely. Top tier, though? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, uh, prob- no, no, not really. I, yeah. Enjoyable, for yeah. sure, but uh, not not cracking my top 20 anytime. Um, so let's start with uh, what will probably be our quickest one. It's a movie that we talked about a little bit before we started recording this. It's one that neither of us have seen. We both saw the original because the original was just fantastic. Little Sean Claude Van Damage. That's right. Back in the mid '90s, came out the first Time Cop uh, movie. Well, this one is Time Cop Two. Uh, two. Time, yeah. Now, uh, Time Cop 2 did not find Jean-Claude Van Damme reprising his role. This is a completely different group of individuals. I'm not going to go into the history of the comic. We already went into that on the previous episode. However, we will start with the director, who is Steve Boyum. Are you familiar with Steve? Um, no. Well, you might have seen him without even realizing it. For the majority of his career, he was a stuntman. So he's done stunts in a lot of productions, but he's also had a lot of directorial work as well. Um, so I mean, it's just kind of, if you get a chance to check him out on IMDb, the uh, more existent and larger uh, database, it's it's a rather interesting look. I was, uh, I, I realized I had not really known much about him before I started researching this particular movie, but uh, interesting. So you remember what happened to the first time cop? He, yes, a thing, and he went back and he did stuff, stuff, and the guy and the thing. Yeah, it's basically the same exact plot, but with different people. The only difference is the main bad guy is a bad guy because he wants to kill Hitler. And that would change history. Hmm. And that's a no-no. You can't do that because of what happened to the first time cop. Ooh, that's bad. We can't be changing history around. And so there's a lot of jumping back and forth in time in this particular film where they change things and the future is affected. And they go back and change some other things and the future is affected again. And Sounds like a, a mess. It, uh, it looks like it. I'm curious to watch it now just because of how messy it seems it, like it, it is, would be. Yeah. Um, however, uh, one of the interesting things about it is the lead actor in this particular film is somebody who I particularly happen to like uh, quite a bit. If you've ever seen Jason Scott Lee, um, the, oh, yeah. you know, the dragon, the Bruce Lee story, or the Jungle Book uh, live action adaptation. Uh, so he's the lead in this particular film, which was pretty cool. You've got uh, Thomas Ian Griffith, who was the main bad guy in Karate Kid 3, right? For mm. all five of us that watched that. Uh, it was also in Cult. So, now, that's the funny thing. Talking about Karate Kid 3, I liked that better than the first two. It was so much. Was was that with the action um, was better, basically. Oh, gosh, what was her name? Uh, what is her name? Uh, 
Is that the one with a uh, uh, million million dollar baby? No, no, that would be the next Karate Kid. Oh, okay. So Karate Kid One is the one that everyone remembers, where he wins with the illegal crane kick. Karate Kid Two is where he travels over to Japan, China. He travels to Asia somewhere. It's been a long time since I see it. I just realized I, yeah, I don't remember where they go. Um, they I think go, it was Japan. I'm, I'm fairly certain it was Japan. Okay. And he, he learns how to do a counterpunch, which apparently he was never taught uh, in the first Karate Kid movie. Mm-hmm. And then the way they teach him ingeniously, instead of telling him how to do it, is to get a drum with two balls and have it go back and forth. Oh, yes. Okay. Right? Okay. Yep. And then okay. The, the, third, the third Karate Kid film is uh, where Terry, whatever his name is, friend of the uh, the teacher of the Cobra Kai dojo, finds his friend on hard luck because of this awful LaRusso kid and helps him rebuild his dojo up and then befriends LaRusso under false pretenses to trick him into learning the Cobra Kai way and becoming an awful person just so he can tear him down yeah, it's it's a convoluted plot. You can't read too much into it. It's a lot of fun though. The, the karate in it's a lot a lot better, I guess is the best way. I mean, because it's more more developed. I more guess developed. Yeah, it's it's more mature. I know that was a big segue, but I I like the third Karate Kid film. Um, who else is in this one? We got uh, Mary Page Keller. Um, for those of you not uh, familiar with her, watch any '80s and '90s television. And probably some 70s, too. She's been on a ton of television. Um, uh, John Beck uh, did the voice of the Punisher in the 90s Spider-Man television show. Oh. Kind of a fun little thing. Uh, lots of roles ever since the 1960s. You've got uh, Kenneth Choi. Now, you should know that one. We've talked about this gentleman. That We haven't gotten to any films in in this series talking about him, but we've done movie reviews that he's been in interesting well let's internet movie database it quickly yeah. or or possibly wait, wait where's there another resource like there is another on? resource you can look it up on you can see every comic book movie he's ever been in uh but uh he's not played the same part but he's kind of played the same part in these films he's in the mcu several times mm. Yeah, he's in, uh, gosh, what is he? Jim Morita. Principal Morita. Okay, got it. Yep. Right, yep. so so he plays one of uh, Sergeant Fury's Howling Commandos, who are not Sergeant Fury's Howling Commandos because they rewrote the history of it. But, you know, whatever. Same character, basically. Yeah. And then his son being the principal the of principal. the school. Yep. So, so you, it, you know, that's kind of fun. He's also on uh, 911, which was... I guess popular. I haven't watched that one, so I don't know. I prefer Reno Nine One One personally. Now, one of my favorites on this, uh, T.J. Tyne, uh, is in this movie as well. Uh, T.J. Tyne was one of the strong supporting roles in the Bones television show. He was king of the lab, you know, kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that dude. What about T.J. Hooker? Yeah, not quite. So, solid cast for a direct to video sequel yeah solid very solid b-level actors yeah everybody knows so since i can't really go into the plot more than what we've done do you have anything further to say this before we shuffle it to the side um not for that movie uh we watched what like when i was in high school the dragon the bruce lee story was like 
we had like you have your group of friends and they have movies that you watch and you watch them a lot and you quote from them that was one of our movies that we watched nice. way too much and quoted things from well, it way too much that movie is so good it's so good uh, i it, you can kind of ignore the fact that it's inaccurate in many, many places. Many ways, yes. But uh, he he did a great job of being Bruce Lee. I mean, he he had it down. He had the right right charisma, the right look, the right mannerisms. He was able to to capture that very well. And really didn't do. He had his like. I would have thought he would have gone like and just exploded, and he just didn't. Which is sad because he's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but still makes movies today. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to one I'm mildly embarrassed to say that I haven't seen because it is right up my alley, both because of what it is and who is in it, uh, and it's it's kind of one of those quirky films that I still need to see just because, like I said, it's right up my alley. Uh, the film was called American Splendor. Now, American Splendor is based on the comic book of the same name that came out in uh, 1976. So Harvey Peckar, Peckar, Pecker. I'm going to go with Peckar, just because. Let's go with the second one. I'm going to go with that one. Uh, Peckar. Peckar. Yeah, it's even better. Let's let's uh, get a little farther away. Uh, was the, the artist and author of this particular comic, and it's kind of a autobiographical sort of a thing so it's super meta because the movie is about him making the comic kind of so it's <laughs> i want to say that i've seen this but I, I can't remember a single bit of anything about it so i know who i, I know who the main actor is but well it's um the the directors of the film is actually a pair of directors. It's a husband and wife team uh, by the name of Sherry Springer Berman and Robert Pulcini. Now, if you look at the work that they've done, uh, you may recognize some of their titles. If you do, and then you're doing better than I did. I didn't recognize any of them. Mm. Um, it's not to say that they weren't good. I just I've never seen any of them. Uh, so I'm drawing a blank a little bit with these folks. But um, this film got some critical acclaim. Wasn't there? Was there some Oscar nominations for this? There might have been. I, I seem to remember when it came out, it got a lot of buzz. And how could it not? It's Paul Giamatti. I mean, he is one of my favorites to see in anything. And he's got uh, he's got great wit. He's got good timing, great delivery. He emotes well. So pretty much anything that he goes uh, and participates in, I'm in 100. percent um, but it's uh, not just him, obviously, in this. We've got, you know what, I'm going to move this like this. I'm Best gonna... writing adapted screenplay. That makes Oscar sense. Oscar nomination for yeah, this thing. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's kind of, well, in fact, uh, the Harvey is in it in a bit role. Because uh, you got to see what he actually looks like at some point. At least that's the uh, what I, I envisioned that they did that for. But other than Paul, you've got uh, James Urbaniak. Uh, who was the uh, voice of Ebony Maw for the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon, which is kind of neat. Uh, but what most people might know him for is he, he's on Venture Brothers. Okay. So, and, uh, familiar. Haven't watched it, but I'm familiar yeah. with it. Um, so you got Judah Freelander in it, who was in 30 Rock. Hilarious dude. Um, Molly Shannon, who was on SNL for a long time. Another really funny person. Uh, Donald Logue. 
I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm pronouncing that right now. I think it's Donal. God dang it. Uh, one of these days I will know how to pronounce names and people will not be cross at me. Uh, please forgive me, sir, because you are somebody that I would love to speak to. Oh, so good. Uh, he's fantastic in everything. And he's been in a lot of comic related stuff too i mean he was in the first blade film mm -hmm. um but uh he had uh, i'm pretty sure he had a sitcom at one point oh yeah yeah that was like an underrated sitcom i don't i i may be underrated because i never heard other people talk about it but i thought it was really good i can't remember the name of it right now it was a family setting type yeah. thing. He, he's just got uh he's got a good charisma and is very relatable so i just and funny I mean, so, I mean, he, he tends to choose some projects that they get good writing for, and he's able to uh, go at it really well. Yeah, I can't say anything about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we did these two first, because these are the two that we have that both not seen. And I feel terrible about it. I, I like to say I've seen most comic book movies, and I'd say that's fair. Um but I haven't seen them all. <laughs> I tried. And these first two were the ones that we haven't seen. But now we can actually start speaking a little bit to plot and everything else going into the next. Yes. So what Teflon-coated movie is next? Something with pots and pans? Oh, come on. That was as good of a dish as I could give to you. You know what's next? Guns. Ah, you're no good. Bulletproof Monk. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I like that. And we actually were even mentioning that before. We yes, did. we were. It's like, I apparently should have uh, printed more than one copy of this off, but, you know. No, see, this is how it works. You prepare, and you know stuff, and then I just am stupid, and it works out well. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that's how it works out. I hope, hope it's enjoyable, because I find it enjoyable. Now, Bulletproof Monk was based off of an image comic book. Um, the Image comic book came out in 1998, uh, written by Brett Lewis and art by Michael Avon Oming. And that's another name I guaranteed I mispronounced. And I apologize, sir, because it was really good stuff. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. O-O-E-M-I-N-G. I'm going with Oming. O-E-M-I-N-G. Yeah. Could be aiming. Could be aiming. Well, that would be pretty funny on Bulletproof Monk. That's true, because yeah. you know uh, Matt Groening. Yeah, that's how his is spelled? That's true. That's true. So, uh, if you are listening, please don't hate us. This is kind of the shtick of the show. I do as much preparation as I can in the five open minutes that I get in my given day. <laughs> so, um, true story. But uh, so directed by Paul Hunter. Um, that one, I'm pretty sure I pronounced correctly. Um, I really urge you to take a look at Paul Hunter's directorial work. He has over a hundred director credits and almost Busy dude. every single one of those music video. <laughs> this is like the only non music video. I take it back. There's like a, a documentary in there, but the documentary is about music. Mm, so he wanted to uh, get into the, the big game. Didn't quite play out. Maybe. I liked this film. I didn't have a problem with the movie. Interesting combination of uh, lead characters, right? 
Well, you, you've got Sean William Scott, who and, was you know in all the American Pie films. Yep. So he was hot. Yeah. Uh, Chow Yun Fat. Chow Yun Fat, man, just martial arts movie gold. And he was, he was pretty hot. Like so, you one of your favorite movies, I know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. God, piece of trash. I, I, I like to be very, very. Pl- very safe in the way I say things because it, it takes a lot to put a movie together. Everybody's tastes are different, so I like to try and be very soft in the way that I say it's like ah, that just wasn't to my taste or whatever. I have a hard time doing it with that film. I hate it so much. Well, so we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more um, and stuff revolving around that's what we said, Chow Yun Fat, mm-hmm. but also the director uh, directs yeah. a movie that's going to be in a minute. Yep, yeah. yep. So. Uh, Amazing movie, Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, oh, just now. We're both on the tops of trees. No, that's not how physics works. I don't care if it's poetic or artistic. No, no, you're breaking my suspension of disbelief as soon as you're pulling this junk. Anyway, <laughs> Jamie King is in it. Um, Jamie King is... Uh, big i mean she's also been in a lot of uh comic book related stuff you got sin city she's in that and mm-hmm. the uh, she's blonde uh the blonde woman blondie i think actually is the name yeah um she was in the spirit she was in white chicks nice yeah not uh, an odd coupling obviously i'm just doing a smattering because she's been in a lot more than that but she's she was pretty popular around that time frame oh, too yeah. so they, okay. they they definitely uh, dipped into the pool of popularity um, from their from their main from their core. Now the the main villain uh, is played by uh, Carol Rodin, uh, who is also in Hellboy as Rasputin. Mm. So I mean he can do a, he can do a good bad guy, especially if he's a good German bad guy. Um, so that was good. But the dude was also in Born Supremacy, and he was in the second Blade movie. You know, which we agreed in our last episode was the best of the Blade movies. Uh, <laughs> or the worst Benicio Del Toro. By your time. So, yeah. um, Victoria Smurfett, which is also, first of all, one of my favorite names. Uh, I'm sure she, she gets that. i heard that name before. Well, she had a really big run on Once Upon a Time. Uh, she was That's why. Cruella yeah. DeVille. But uh, she's been in a bunch of other stuff, too. Um, of course, Mako is in this film. That dude's dope. He is. I'm, I'm talking about lists of actors that you miss. That dude I miss. I mean, he was amazing in he everything. He was in, oh, gosh. Um, so there are, I got to dig it up. Continue to talk. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, he was in, obviously. He did the voice for the uncle character in Airbender. Uh, uh, That was just fantastic. He was the the scrawny wizard dude in the Conan movies. Yes, he was. Yes. Okay. He's got got some just major awesome stuff. You've got... uh, now, this is kind of a small thing. He's not a big character in this film, but uh, Mike Dopud, 
I, again, I'm almost certainly mangling the name, but this dude's been in a bunch of comic book movies as like small parts. So if you get a chance to look up this dude uh, in our database or whatever, D-O-P-U-D, he's, he's been in a surprising number of comic book movies. Um, but the plot, it seems nonsensical. And it seems kind of ridiculous in a lot of ways, but it somehow just works for me. I mean, it was a... It was a piece of movie that fit the time frame that it was released. I, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastical in the sense that the Chow Yun Fat's character has been carrying along a secret, and the secret has kept him alive for much longer than he should have been. It has given him extra special uh, martial arts powers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, uh, evil Germans, uh, evil Nazi people are trying to steal the secret. Uh, and he's trying to find somebody to pass on his knowledge to. So what does he choose? Uh, a rich girl and a guy that learned martial arts from watching martial arts films. Mm. Well, that makes sense. Exactly. You know, but I wouldn't. <laughs> and it sounds dumb, but it works so well. Anytime we talk about Germans, it makes me think of Jason Statham saying, the Germans. <laughs> that works for you, man. Yeah. But, uh, so I mean, there's just some, there's some interesting visuals, uh, like uh, the point where you're watching Sean Williams Scott uh, practice his kung fu by being on stage in the movie theater as the movie is playing, and he's just mimicking whatever it is that they're doing on screen. Uh, move for move sort of a thing it's, it's it's just fun yeah yeah this it it got actors that you can't you're not supposed to take seriously in a sense and it got actors that you are supposed to take seriously in a sense yeah and you know stuffed them together in a movie that I, I think when you saw the, maybe the trailers for it, you're like, uh, and then you watch the movie, like, yeah, that was fun. Like, that's a good, yeah. quote, popcorn movie, right? It's got surprising rewatchability. I've seen it a couple of times, and I didn't get a depreciating return on my time investment. It was just yeah. as fun watching it in the second time as it was the first. So, I mean... It's just, it's just, you know, good. And don't expect a lot out of the plot. It does not make sense for the most part. No. But uh, it's just, this is fun. You should definitely give it a watch. Let's move on from something that a lot of people didn't really pay much attention to and may have missed out on something fun to something that a lot of people watched that resulted in the end of a historic career. And a lot of people hate partially for that reason. And they say it's just awful on top of it. I think that's going too far, actually. I thought this film, it wasn't amazing, but it was, it was again, kind of a, a fun thing. Just don't take it too seriously. Yep. For those of you that are probably guessing what we are talking about, what is it, Richard? Uh, L-O-E-G. Yes. Yes. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I feel like it's referred to sometime as an acronym. No, it is never referred to as an acronym, and you should probably... I liked it. I... Uh, uh, eh, eh. Okay, so this one is based, actually, instead of a comic book, it's based on a graphic novel that came out in 1999. Um, Alan Moore, kind of one of the great comic book writers, was behind this particular uh, piece of work, as well as uh, 
uh, with uh, Kevin O'Neill as being the artist. Um, it it was a lot of fun. It's another attempt to meld multiple um, older stories into a single story, mm-hmm. like Once Upon a Time did on the television show, and just using you know different characters that are not owned by Disney. <laughs> seems like they own a lot of the characters now it's but, true um so they they there is a uh, yeah i can't think of it there's a show that came out on um showtime three seasons worth that did the same type of thing just way better yeah. um eva green's in it um timothy dalton's in it i can't remember what that's called really good show but it had the same principle where you had all these. It's like Grimm? Not like Grimm. No, I can't remember what it's called. Eh, anyway, there's a lot of them out there. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, all your all your main characters from oh what would you, yeah when you say like older spooky tales or yeah. older um, gosh it's like we're talking like old character like oh yeah a, not ancient but like what all of your horror movies were based off of in the 1800s. Yeah. 1900s. You know, like... So they're in the general domain now, so anybody yeah. could use them. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, Stephen Norrington directed this film. Now, that may be a name that is familiar to some, but not to others, but Stephen Norrington is... So you've got this this graphic novel that is a really solid story by one of the greats in terms of comic book writing. With Stephen Orrington, who is just, he's got a, a resume that's pretty amazing. He did special effects on Aliens and Aliens 3 and uh, Hardware, which may not be a big thing to want to uh, exclaim about. But, you know, Aliens and Aliens 3, he did the work on that. He was on the art department for Blade Trinity. Uh, he was an actor in Blade and Return to Oz. And he directed the the first Blade movie. So, I mean, he can obviously make a comic book movie and make it well. Yes. He gets it. So you've got the great source material. You've got the great director for it, you would think. Big budget. Big budget. And a ridiculous cast. I mean, you've got Sean Connery, his last film, but you've got Sean Connery. What he, Didn't he turn down like Lord of the Rings or something for this? Or, yes, there was some significant movie that he turned down because of this one. And then, in turn, this made him stop yeah, acting. Yeah. Uh, you got uh, Mr. Shaw as uh, Captain Nemo. Now, I'm going to call him Mr. Shaw because as much as I butcher other names, I guarantee you I will butcher his first name. And I don't really want to do that like 12 times in a single episode. But uh, he's he's done a lot of work over the years, both in America and overseas cinema. So I mean, you got a big name there. You got Peter Wilson, who was in La Femme Nikita, uh, the television show, uh, Superman Returns, CSI Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Curran, who did the voice, uh, uh, did some voice work in Voltron, the newest Voltron. <laughs> but uh, he was actually Boar in Thor: The Dark World. Now, if you don't remember him, it's because uh, he was not in it for real long. And it's kind of an uncredited role. Um, but uh, he was an X-Men first class. I mean, so he's, he's got some got some stuff that he's been mm-hmm. in. You got Stuart Townsend, who was in Queen of the Damned as Lestat, took over uh, an impossible role uh, from, 
from Tom Cruise going yeah. into that one. Uh, Shane West as Tom Sawyer, who is uh, Bane in Gotham. Uh, he is in Salem. He is in not La Femme Nikita, but Nikita. Different show. Different show. Uh, ER. You got Jason Fleming. That was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He's in the current show Pennyworth, actually. Um, but he was also an X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass, Benjamin Button, Transporter 2. And he's been in a ton of stuff. You got Richard uh, Roxburgh as Moriarty. Um, and he was in Van Helsing, Moulin Rouge. So, I mean, that's some really solid casting. And it failed miserably. And it failed. And it still kind of mystifies me a little bit that it did because the the cinematography was fantastic in this film. The overall feel of the film was really nice. Uh, if you are a steampunk fan, it's very steampunky. Um, well, the the, uh, the look of the of Nemo's things, right? Like his his ship oh, and yeah. his car. What would you call it? Car. Yeah, I don't want to try and name that because I'm not entirely sure whether it's a rocket or a car or what. It had like 17 wheels on it, but it looked like a... It was really neat. Yeah. It was just visually stunning. And I'm trying to think the the story and all the stuff made sense. It was comic booky. I kind of relate this movie to... So if you saw... Um, Okay, uh, Waterworld, right? So Waterworld is w- widely regarded as one of the biggest flops, flops right? Yeah. Huge budget, big movie, like two and a half hour, like just this big, gigantic movie. It's supposed to be epic. Yeah, Den- Dennis Hopper's in it, and everybody hated this movie. Like, it's a, like, not just, like, it's a bad movie. But if you watch it, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not amazing, but it's not that bad. Yeah. No, I, it's not something I would go to the movie theater and watch or no. I would own, but I don't mind watching it. And that's kind of how I feel about this particular movie. Yeah, very much so. Where it it had hype in a sense. It could have been really good. It just, it just wasn't. Yeah. But it's not as awful as people say that it is. No, no. And I don't think it necessarily has something that lays in any one person's lap because it's one of those instances that, you know, I love chocolate and uh, I also love steak. I'm generally not going to eat them together. It's not something that you should put together. I think it's just a matter of the really awesome ingredients. It just didn't mix as well as, as they hoped it would. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of sad, but, you know, it happens sometimes. Um, what are you going to do? Yeah, nothing you can do really on that. So now we're going to move into some properties that uh, may be more familiar to people, mm-hmm. even if you haven't watched them originally, because there are variants of each of them that exist today. Uh, let's start with uh, the one you alluded to earlier, Mr. Ang Lee's uh, foray into the Marvel Universe that made most people that watch the film scratch their head and wonder what just happened. Yeah, this so this is a Marvel character, but not a Marvel property. No. It was even more so not a Marvel property when this movie was made. Yeah. Like, this is a universal... 100%. Like, there's no Marvel involved in this thing whatsoever 
as in they did another Hulk movie after it, and it had Marvel involved involvement. This is didn't no. <laughs> this is just a. It's it's a mess. It's a fun mess, but it's a mess. Yeah, it's got a good cast. It's got people in it that I like to see. Yeah, definitely so. It's just it's hard it's hard to describe. This movie this movie isn't the worst movie ever. No. But it's it's, it's getting towards the bottom. Yeah, it's not there's a lot of this that's not good. And and the, and the reason that it feels so much like that is there are elements in it that are actually really good, but yep. when they're right next to the elements that just did not work, it just makes it look all the worse. Yeah. Um, so first of all, believe it or not, we haven't talked about the Hulk in this list at all yet. So the Hulk came out in 1962 in the Incredible Hulk comic book by Stanley and Jack Kirby. For those that are unaware, um, and. Uh, this uh, particular film, as we mentioned, is uh, directed by Ang Lee. Now, if you are not completely familiar with Ang Lee, it's it's understandable. I mean, it's it's been a little while, and uh, maybe you just haven't seen it. But Crouching Tiger, as we mentioned before, is one of those. Uh, uh, more recent uh, foray, uh, The Life of Pi. Uh, he did that one. Um, Sense and Sensibility, he also did, which is interesting. But he also did um, Face Off. Yeah, coach, oh, that was a cringer. And did, did he not? He also did Mission Impossible Two. Yes, he did. So, the least interesting of the Mission Impossible films. One of, if not the worst movie ever made. That's that's saying a that, lot. That's strong on my I hate this movie list because generally speaking, I give movies some credit or I enjoy them or that movie awful. I don't Just think it gets bad. quite that that low for me, but I mean because I've watched uh, Troll Two, uh, and it's not a, not in the same league. But who was in it? What was the budget? That's so like I I, I weigh some of that I into the factor saying. with it too. So it, for for what it should have been, it was certainly disappointing. Yes, and people love Face Off. It's a bad movie. Okay, it's not a fun bad movie. It's a bad movie. Yeah, well, I, I would I would say it's it's one of those things that you know things can go around full circle. It's so bad it's good, but it's so bad that it's good it's bad, and it's just that that movie just makes that wheel keep going over and over and over again because you get two of the greatest over actors on earth in the same film uh-huh. with a plot that's hard to work with and dialogue that is just clunky, and so sometimes it's just wow that is. That is hilariously wonderful, and it's just like, oh, the next now I want to change the channel if it's on TV. Uh, yeah, so I I feel like when it comes to Ang Lee, you see what he can do, but you also see like the, he's not like some people are just good at every outing. Some people have their moments, and this dude is just like you. You don't know what you're gonna get. I feel like you well, know, like, like talking about sense and sensibility. That's actually a great movie. It's really well done. Good with the source material. It's well approached. The the, the casting is excellent. And the way it's handled is great. But. <laughs> I, I think he gets a lot of his. He gets a lot of his stature in movies from the stuff that he did before he came to American cinema. I think so. And 
when he came to American cinema, if I'm not mistaken, like some of those like Sense and Sensibility and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon were, were some of the first things that he did. And those had a lot of acclaim to them. And that bought him a lot of opportunity to fail. Yeah, get, get some leeway, enough rope to be able to uh, hang yourself with, as they as they sometimes say. Yeah. But so. this cast was, I mean, it's got Eric Bana in it. Uh, who I, I happen to like in pretty much anything. If you're not completely familiar with him, uh, he was also in Munich and Troy and The Time Traveler's Wife. He's been in some great movies, and he always affords himself pretty well. Even in this film, he did pretty well, but he wasn't given a lot of range. Blackhawk Black Down. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, and he's... Is he Australian or New Zealand? Or a new, a new... He has one of those accents. Yes. And I don't think people realize that. Because he hover, he covers it up. Yes, he does. He Very presents well. himself as a an American really well. Yes, he does. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, who was just in everything uh, before this point, really. She was like. she was pretty hot yeah. um, in the movies that she has done. Um, gosh, Beautiful Mind. That was in the yeah. that same time frame. Um, uh, the one movie about um, a lot of drugs and stuff. Blow? No. Uh, is the one with Tony Montoya in it? No, no, no. <laughs> no. More more artsy. Okay. I'm going to go with Pass. Yeah, I don't uh, remember what it's called. But we've got uh, Sam, uh, Sam Elliott is in this film, who I love to death in everything. And America is, Cinema Classic. Is the second best possible choice they could have made for uh, The General. <laughs> which they ended up going with the best possible choice in the next Hulk film, which is why he's lasted as long as he have. Uh, as yeah, as he has. that that was um, you know we'll we'll probably talk about that later. But he went what almost like ten years between his appearances, more or less, in the cinematic universe. Oh, yeah. uh, That's for a later. <clears throat> then you've got uh, Josh Lucas, uh, who is actually in A Beautiful Mind, but he's also mm-hmm. going to be in that new Ford versus Ferrari film which is coming out any day now. Uh, Lou Frigno and Stan Lee make cameos. Uh, Daniel Day Kim has a small role in it, who I, another actor I just happen to love, partially because I kind of got to know him in Angel, the television mm-hmm. show, and he is also in Lost, and he was in the more recent Hellboy, which was not awesome. Um, then you've got uh, Michael Papajohn, you know, the, uh, the gentleman from Spider-Man that was the... Uh, the the person that shot Uncle Ben, well, sort of. Yes, but uh, he's actually in a ton of stuff too. And then you've got Nick Nolte, who is a magnificent train wreck. Correct. That's a good. That's a good. I like that one um, because a lot of the stuff that he's in, he was great. Yeah, like Tropic Thunder. You could not have cast that role better. And what what was he in with Eddie Murphy? Hours. Forty-eight hour movies. Yeah. Um, Cape was he was he a Cape Fear? Like I know he not the bad guy, but um, that sounds right somehow. That that sounds like it's right. And if it's not, uh, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer Connelly was in uh, Requiem for a Dream. Ah, oh, that's right, that's right. But uh, so I mean, the only thing about Nick Nolte is. He will go, kind of talking about Ang Lee, Nick Nolte has a similar problem. If you give him the rope, 
he's going to use it, mm-hmm. and he's going to go really far out. And if you don't rein it in, it can very quickly become just a mess. Because uh, sometimes once you get up to that line of brilliance, if you just one toe over it, and it's just not good. Yeah, so his his character um, is totally made up, if I'm not mistaken. Like it's, No, no. So like him, his... Um, Bruce Banner's dad, dad. Is, is in the comics, and as he's presented in the movie is fairly accurate fairly accurate the absorbing man or whatever? no no not not talking about that uh talking about the the history with the the bruce banner and his dad being abusive and that sort of thing okay that's accurate the i gained powers bit i don't remember that that's what i was thinking of like that that that, that whole yeah yeah i don't i mean it's possible that it's there there are hundreds of issues of the hulk and I've not read them all. I've read a good chunk of them. And it's also determined which point in time you're talking about, where in continuity it is. I don't remember him ever getting to that point. But, yeah, I could be wrong on that one. I just I just remember that character. Like, well, I'm just like, it, it was a weird way to progress the the narrative the bad guy of the story yeah like like that whole thing was weird to me the hulk as he jumped from plateau to plateau and then his the chest out jump yes and the wind blowing and him flying <laughs> fluttering like um, and like this isn't spider-man like we're not here to watch um the point of view of the hulk jumping from place to place like it just you know what like well and hmm. it was at the point in cgi that they were almost there, but not quite. So it was like green, shiny Play-Doh on the screen. Uh, it did, did not look did not look quite real enough. I mean, it was close, but not quite. I, I don't know if that's just a matter of the special effects house that did it, or I think it's more likely it's just that it was that point in time where it just wasn't quite there yet. So it couldn't look as good as it needed to. Now, even just a few years later, the his power level in this movie is about right. It's about right. That's yeah. that's kind of what I when I initially watched it and wasn't as familiar with comic books in a sense at the time. I was like, like, why are they even trying? Because everything is just like bing, bing, bing. Like this is this doesn't seem like the presentation of him doesn't seem appropriate. And then the more I grew into that particular character i'm like oh yeah that's actually his that's, yeah he yeah. can absorb just about anything you throw at him uh yeah it's it's kind of crazy but the plot of the film was a little odd um i'm gonna yeah. manipulate you son so that i can be in a position to make myself into a giant monster okay <laughs> i'm not not quite sure where this is going but uh yeah not not a great film yeah i think that's all the time we really need to to spend on that we're good on that um now i think this next one might be one where we're slightly divided potentially but a lot of people actually dislike this film as much if not more than they dislike the hulk i am not in that camp i actually for the most part enjoyed this film it's, it's one of those instances where i i think it's it they did a great job to a point and then just 
missed it in a couple spots. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, this is this is one of those where this movie's bad, but it's still watchable. It's still good. You know, yeah. like it, it's when you watched it, you knew it. This was bad. But then when you watch it again later, you're like, eh, it's not as bad as what I thought it was. Yeah. You know? And it's basically, it was perfect. And because it was perfect to this one point, as soon as they made that misstep, it's like, oh, oh, that's not, oh, you were doing so good. I mean, you weaved through the defensive line and you had the ball and everything. Then you turned around and took the ball and did your dance. And then they swatted it out of your hands as they caught up. Yeah, it's like those highlights where you see the uh, person running in for the touchdown and then they drop the ball as their, quote, celebration, in a sense, at the one-yard line right before they cross the goal line. Yeah, that's that is Daredevil in two thousand three to a T. Um, now this is based on a comic book from nineteen sixty four, written by Stan Lee. Artist is Bill Everett. Um, so it's kind of uh, good old Bill. Yeah, kind of some good stuff. Now Mark Steven Johnson is the director for the film. Now you may know him for his other superhero films like uh, Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> and uh, no, actually, he wrote Grumpy Old Men and the screenplay for Daredevil and the screenplay for Ghost Rider. Uh, and he did the story for Christopher Robin, which good combination was, was amazing. That movie was really good. Um, but he directed Ghost Rider as well. And uh, Winnie the Ghost Rider, yeah, he did Win in Rome and Finding Steve McQueen. And so he's actually had some interesting, yeah, some interesting choices that were successful. I mean, well received for the most part. Um, but obviously, you got Ben Affleck in the main role. This is one of those instances where the choice I thought, again, almost worked. I liked I liked him in the suit. I liked their interpretation of the suit. I thought when he was Daredevil, he was golden. When he was Matt Murdock, no. See, that that I can go with because when you're in that suit, what are you going to see? Their face? And you're going to hear their voice. And that's it, right? So that, that character has to be presented anyway. So you could put anybody in a suit as long as they could posture correctly right. and at least show some cognizance of a athletic slash fighting ability. And you're good. Yeah, you've got uh, Jennifer Garner in this film. She went on to a sequel to sort of the film. Um, yeah, she did. She did good. She. I'm just not sold on her in general. Um, but I I like her generally. Uh, it's she's not okay. So here's here's my only problem with her in this film. Truthfully, I thought she did fine with the part. I think with what she was given, she did great. Uh, Electra is uh, not American. Yes, <laughs> minor problem. <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, Greek. Uh, just physically did not look right for the part. Unfortunately, I don't think. Um, last name is Nachios. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like uh, something doesn't fit here. Uh, but you know, all in all, eh. well, so the. The one thing I had about her, so I like I said, I'm not sold on Jennifer Garner. I don't mean I don't like her. I'm just not. 
I could do with or without her in any of the movies that she's in. I haven't seen Peppermint, for example. I'm w- sure she does great in that movie. I watched actually. that. I thought she carried that film well. So I, I know she can do well in movies. I know that she has um, a good athletic ability, right? Like, so she's she's not just playing someone who is an athlete. Like, she is actually a good athlete. Um, There's fun stories about her learning how to use the sigh. Well, that see... Film. That's one of the things that I have the problem with is that every time you saw her, she just did the little, I'm going to twiddle these things around and around, and then she'll like stick them together. And like, that was her move. I'm like, this is, this isn't cheesy. This is annoying cheesy, you know? Well, okay. So here's the problem with this. I think the, the reason that you're having this particular issue is not a problem with her. No, no. It's a, it's a problem with that actual weapon. What are you going to do with that? That is going to be flashy enough to see on screen. Tell they me how to do it over and over and over again. Well, yeah, I'm but like, that's your move. Okay, so you've cool. seen you've seen a lot of martial arts films, right? Enough. Yeah. Tell me another one that's ever used the sigh. Um, Raphael. Yeah. Other than the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so how they even present that weapon as a slicing weapon? Yeah, it's really it's not. Not. Like when she's doing her little things in the with the bags, I mean, and the like very, she swipes the very them. tip has a, can have a little bit of a point, but it's a blunt weapon. Yeah, it's defensive. And There's not much you can do with it. No, not that, not not in actual combat. In actual combat, you can mess somebody up with side, but just on the screen, it's not a great weapon for presentation. Correct. But yeah, so let's let's move on to Colin Farrell, who's often uh, another contentious point for a lot of people. A lot of people did not like his choice for uh, Bullseye in this. And I thought he was the perfect choice for Bullseye. It's just they made him go really far afield with it. Well, because I I may be wrong. I'm not 100 percent familiar with that character, but that character is an over-the-top character. Oh, yeah. He's off his rocker. So that's what was given. That was what was. That's what he put in front of the screen was an well, over-the-top he, 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 no, well, character. He, here's the thing. He is, he is over-the-top, but he's over-the-top in a frightening way. And the way that it was written was not over-the-top in a frightening way. They tried to be funny with it True. in several instances. And to initially introduce him... That's perfect. But then you have to twist the expectation and make funny frightening. So when they introduced him and he's in the bar and they're, you know, doing the dartboard and he's just drinking, not even looking at the dartboard and just bullseye, bullseye. And then they don't want to pay him and he turns the one paperclip into a bunch of paperclip darts and kills the dude and takes his money. Mildly amusing. The little thing on his forehead. Yeah, okay, you could take that into a scary way. It's not there yet, but it's a great introduction to the character. And then they put him on the plane with the old woman that won't shut up. That that was the first mistake they made, really, in my mind. I mean, it's not the fact that he killed her with a peanut. That's fine. It's the fact that he said, oh, I'm kind of annoyed. I'm kind of annoyed. Now flick the peanut. It should have been, she's talking, she's talking. And instead of that, he just looks at her. And then does it. That is the presentation you need for that. Cold, calculating, 
callous. You're not supposed to like him. You are supposed to hate him. And then if you do like him, kind of hate yourself a little bit for it. That's that's the character. So, I mean, when you do that, oh, give me a, give me a, uh, I need a super suit or whatever you call it. I need a costume or whatever when he's complaining to the kingpin. That was just dumb. It didn't make any sense. And it just robbed any sort of gravitas that the character had. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong. All of these Marvel presentations, aside from Blade and Punisher, how they've been presented to us have all been PG, PG thirteen, pretty much, right? Because yeah, that's that's the golden money range. Yep, but Daredevil really it's shouldn't be, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's you know you're given a limitation within this movie. You're, you're confined to the limitations of this movie. That's why the show is so good. Yeah, ex- exactly. So if if you put these even even Ben Ben Affleck and you put all these people in the same movie with the same script and the same plot but you make it r-rated is it a better movie maybe it's hard to say it's kind of apples and oranges but uh talking about interesting castings michael clark duncan as kingpin oh my lord another actor i just love to death in in everything he just nails everything i've ever seen him in yeah and to, to choose, again, kind of going against type in the sense that he, uh, he's an African-American gentleman and the original Kingpin is a big, fat, white guy. Um, I, I, I could see some people potentially cringe at choosing him as the Kingpin. And it's like, no, no, he's got, he's got the voice. He's got the size. Mm-hmm. And that introduction when you get the nerd song leading up to the penthouse where he's at is just a glorious introduction to the character. And then they just don't really do anything with it. No. No, that's... Like, that character could be an all-encompassing character in all of these different landscapes of things. And even in even in the Daredevil Netflix series, you don't even get that fleshed out. You, you do, For but... For Kingpin? You, you do, but... I was going to say, they fleshed him out pretty darn well. I, I just feel like he's got so many different facets facets and things and people and bad guys and associations. Sure. But that takes a long time to actually time. To, to, to do. But and Vincent D'Onofrio is such a good casting for that. Uh, I'm just amazed at how well that worked uh, between the writing that they gave him and the performance that he gave. It's like, oh. We'll get to that eventually, I'm yeah. sure. Someday. But um, so other than that, you got John Favreau in it, a director of Iron Man. Uh, director of a lot of things. Director a lot of, of a lot of, things. lot of good things. A lot actually. of really good things. And probably the brightest point of this movie. And this is, I don't know if this is the best compliment that I can give him on his acting side. But while I can't ever see him as normally somebody that would lead a movie, he makes everybody around him better when he's in a scene. It just works so well. And, of course, I was easily proven wrong when uh, Chef came out, which he directed. And that was so good. Uh, but um, uh, just, I mean, he the, the banter, it, the awkwardness that Ben Affleck had as Matt Murdock disappeared when Jon Favreau was talking to him. 
Well, I think you actually see that a lot in the Iron Man slash Spider-Man films where he makes an appearance is that you love those scenes. You love those interactions when he pops up. So um, he was a good choice to kind of do the directing, lead the lead the way in a sense for that. And he already had the exposure because of this movie. So he he knew what Marvel now was. Wait, was this? Who did this? Was this Fox? Well, Daredevil, uh, was it Paramount? Maybe that's who it was. Like It, it wasn't like it was a Marvel property, because they didn't do a, a Marvel... Well, let's take a look. We are going to use our fantastic new tool. I'm going to go to www.everybodylovespudding.com, and we're going to go to the comic movie database. Mm. Wow. Right? Look at this. It's just right there. We're going to search the database specifically for production this time. We're going to look up Daredevil. Now, if you want, you can put a movie in, or a movie in, uh, you can put a, uh, a particular year in. Once we uh, get into any sort of television stuff, you may want to do that. But uh, 1969. So I'm not going to do that. And look, there's Daredevil in 2003. What production companies? It was 20th Century Fox, Marvel Enterprises, Regency Enterprises, New Regency Pictures, Horseshoe Bay Productions, and Epsilon Motion Pictures. So I got it right. Fox. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, interesting, right? Because... Right. Um, we know what the Fox, other Fox properties are now, right? Right. right. We'll talk about one. Um, and there was Fantastic Four, yeah. and there's that whole family of things. But Daredevil's like that one most people didn't think of. Yeah. But uh, just to kind of mention a couple other people there and there, you got Ellen Pompeo, who was in Grey's Anatomy for quite some time. You got uh, Joe Pantaloni. Pantaloni. Uh, <laughs> it's getting late. Joey Pants. Just call him Joey Pants. Joey Pantoliano, uh, who is somebody I would very much like to talk to. I mean, if nothing else, just for his part in The Matrix. But, uh, you know, he's, he's great in pretty much anything. Uh, Leland Orser. Who was in Saving Private Ryan, uh, the Taken series, ER. Um, you've got uh, Eric Avari, who is in uh, Stargate, The Mummy, Mr. Deeds, uh, just in, in so many things. And another, just another person I loved to death seeing in anything. He, he played the uh, Elder Nachos in this film. Mm. So you can't, yep, yep, you can't yep. miss this dude. He's stellar in every single thing he ever does. And uh, it's just great. He, well, he was even the heroes. He he played the uh, the father of one of the the main characters. I mean, just 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 great. Paul Ben Victor, who was in Tombstone, The Wire, Push, True Romance. David Keith, who played uh, uh, the father of uh, the father Murdoch. Um, he hmm. was he was in Firestarter as the father of that too. Actually, now that I think about it, U five seven one officer and a gentleman. I mean, you know, big films. I mean, just great. Kevin Smith, of course, was in this. Uh, you've got Coolio in a scene that's only in the director's cut. Uh, you've got uh, Frank Miller made a little guest appearance, considered mm. to be the best Daredevil writer uh, that there ever was, and I cannot disagree with that. Just great, great cast. Fun film. <laughs> Not an amazing film, but a fun film. Um, I think you know the song associated with that film. And if you don't, then you've... Well, you need to... to not been alive in the 
2000s or have ever, ever, ever saw a snippet of a commercial for this movie. Well, and I, you're talking about the one between Sliva and Creed? Yes. No. no, I'm sorry. My brain turned off for a minute and went to Spider-Man. Um, you're talking about uh, the uh, uh, Nickelback song? Ever. Oh, the Evanescence. Yeah, sorry. My fault. See, here's the thing. Uh, as it's getting later, my brain's slowly oozing out of my ears. But uh, Me not have brain power. <laughs> actually, the Daredevil soundtrack was amazing. It was really, really good. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance to, to listen to that, it's it's one of the that, top that, That's true because it, it's kind of right on the edge. It's... The grunge era has come and gone. A lot of the major powers in that decade have faded away, yep. passed away, broken up, and you're getting the after effects on these when you're seeing the post grunge, but like not what you like the pre where hip hop and bad pop music has completely taken over. So you're you're right in that early transition before all that stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, but you know, all in all, solid. That I wanted to save the best for last, movie right, uh, movie wise. Uh, so we'll move. Well, is it the best, really, of this group, probably? But uh, of this year, of this particular year, uh, probably the best comic film that was released. Also a Fox property, mm-hmm. as you were alluding to earlier. X Men Two, X Men United. They they fly on United. X X. Two, yeah, X2, X-Men United, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Brian Singer reprises his directorial uh, helming of the series in the second film. Um, Not pretty a much, popular man in Hollywood right now. Not currently, but we'll, we'll skip over that. Um, pretty much all the actors and actresses reprise the roles. I mean, so you got Patrick Stewart back, Hugh Jackman is back, Halle Berry is back, pretty much everybody. Um, the only real changes, uh, you've got uh, Alan Cumming came in as Nightcrawler. Um, you've got, um, uh, trying to think, Aaron Stanford replaced the actor that they had be Pyro in the first film. Uh, and if you're not familiar with who this gentleman is, Aaron Stanford was in uh, 12 Monkeys, the show, Nikita, the show. Um, he was in uh, The Hills Have Eyes, the one that came out in 2006. I mean, so he's, he's had some some pretty good success. And he did good in the second and the third X-Men movies that he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, solid that. Sean Ashmore reprised. Uh, Kelly Hugh as Lady Deathstrike. Uh, she was in a few things like Scorpion King and Jason Takes Manhattan. I definitely remember the uh, Scorpion King. Yep. Uh, you got Daniel Cudmore as Colossus, which was kind of fun. That was my geek out moment on that particular film. I so really- that character is one of my favorite characters in the X-Men world. And we need more of him because yes. he's a classic uncanny X-Men character. And he's in Deadpool as a joke. Yes. And it's a well done joke. You can Correct. Correct. But I like that character. Oh, me too. He's he's one of my favorites. And when done right, it's just fantastic. There's this story that I love so much in the comics where Colossus is get, just getting a big head. 
that he's, you know, I'm powerful, I'm strong, all that sort of stuff. And I think it's his 21st birthday or something. And Wolverine takes him to a bar. He takes him to this particular bar because he knows very specifically this is where Kane Marco hangs out. Hmm. So the juggernaut just beats the snot out of him to kind of give him a little humility. <laughs> it was really pretty funny. Another character that needs... That finally had a good showing, yeah. but needs more. We want more Juggernaut. Well, it was good until the very end. The fact that they took him out by electrocuting his butt was just dumb. It was funny, but it wasn't accurate in any way, shape, or form. You could... Let me, let me put it this way. Uh, for those of you who are not comic book fans, there was a point at which the Juggernaut was... Um, facing off against uh, Thor and a group called the New Warriors. They were just introducing this new team-friendly group of superheroes. Uh, but uh, Thor siphoned off like a portion of his life force to project through the hammer at uh, Juggernaut. And he just walked through it. A little bit of electricity is not going to do crap to the Juggernaut. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, it was still leaps and bounds better than the X-Men 3 Juggernaut. Yes, which we will get to in one of the next few episodes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I agree. Colossus needs to be like a serious Colossus film. I would see that in a heartbeat. Let's see who else we got here. We got we'll never get it. Peter Wingfield, man. Um, one of those actors I love to see pop up because it brings back memories of some of the things I loved. If you remember the original Highlander movie, it was popular enough that a show was spawned, which was uh, very many, many seasons were spawned out of that. Well, syndicated show. Yes. Absolutely. Peter Wingfield was in that show and he played uh, the character of Mythos. Uh, one of the oldest of the, of the immortals and it's such a fun storyline. He did such a great job with that particular character. Um, it, it was just fun. Actually, was, a good syndicated TV show. Oh yeah, too. it was solid. Um, now, uh, so this film, what did you did you enjoy the second X Men film? Yes, I, I get the the progression. So like they're digging into Wolverine. So they they figured out. Okay, the first movie. Strangely enough, people like this Wolverine character. It's just like and, what happened in the comics. And uh, the, the, the person that's playing him, well, he did a really good job. We need more of this. Yeah. So that's kind of why it went in this direction, I personally feel. Um, the other characters are cool. Like, I'm not a, you know... Um, Halle Berry, I'm not a real big... Well, I like Halle Berry quite a bit. I mean, maybe she's, not so much in comic movies, but yeah, in other stuff. In other stuff, she's okay. And, and, and this one, yeah. yeah. She's and, partially responsible for what I think is a worse comic book movie than what... Well, yes, that's a future. Yes. Uh, uh, DC. But, yes. Um, sort of. <laughs> <that's> weird. <laughs> Uh, but um, the, like the character, like the striker character, right? Um, that like, actor is awesome. He's always good. Um, Brian Cox is yep. great in tons of stuff. Um, I I like um, how they did the intro. Like it got you into like oh uh, Nightcrawler, cool. Like Nightcrawler is a classic 
X-Men character. And it shows how he can be just a badass. Just, he is an underrated character in what he can do and has the capabilities of doing. And this was the time, like you said, that they're starting to get more of the CGI stuff, yeah. uh, the practical the, the practical effects of him being in the full suit and yeah. having, having to have a tail. So... Like that part when you were introduced to that, like that's cool. I like this, yeah. and I, I liked a lot of the aspects of it. I didn't like the end. Uh, really, um, you didn't like the I'm sacrificing myself uh, for the good of the team, even though technically I have enough power to divide all this water going out, completely control the ship, and do everything. But I'm still going to stay underwater, even though if I can lift the ship, I can lift myself. Yeah. A couple of feet. Yeah, and then they like there was. I thought there was one other thing too, where like they were trying to get into this phoenix thing, and then they show in the water at the end the phoenix, and and that part was okay. To to an extent, you're like, oh, cool. Like I know that storyline. It can be cool in the cartoons when we watched it. It, it was, was super cool. It was cool, but it was annoying. Yeah, it, it was annoying. That storyline was, but like, okay, this is a big thing, and then. I mean that's that's a whole other yeah that's another conversation the, the whole other conversation I just didn't like like that part like their eh. attempt to do the Dark Phoenix was not good but again we'll get to that in the third X Men film yeah yeah but uh, so you know the, there were bits and pieces of it the the Lady Deathstrike like look neat look neat wasn't the actual Lady Deathstrike that I know no but. Um, there wasn't enough of her. No, you got zero character development. Yeah. Which is, and and, and I will say this for anybody that is a writer that uh, doesn't already know this. I, I, I don't think that writers exist that don't know this. I think this is all the studio's uh, fault generally. Uh, but uh, when you write a character, what makes them cool is not their metal claws, but the story behind them and how they relate to the other characters. <laughs> Yeah, and you got none of that. I mean, it was like, oh, Ed, another character that's got powers. Okay, like wh- that character what? Has so How? Much Why? Where? Yeah, like that. Yeah, that character's that character's. Uh, if you want to get into Wolverine and do Wolverine stuff, well, that's a great character to do. But don't just like toss her in as a side story. Yeah. So I, I felt like you got a lot of that stuff right you know where like you introduced some characters and some aspects of things and but not yeah. really and there are some cool spots where Iceman gets to create that ice wall and as the kids are running away and everything like that that was pretty sweet um, the the conversation that he's having with um, with Logan about trying to talk to somebody about I, I have this girlfriend I want to get more serious with I can't touch her <laughs> otherwise I'll die uh, but you know just trying to feel that out because who are you going to talk to Professor X that's not happening there's no father figure type or older brother type figure at that and that Wolverine fills that role perfectly yeah that was beautifully written and well done um, the scene where you are introduced to uh, Iceman's family. And can't you just try not being a mutant for a little while? <laughs> That's really well written. Uh, yeah, and the whole, like, you get to see 
a little bit of like they they explain a little bit of the pyro character like I can't create the flame but I can control it yeah right and then they 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 touched on it just like ever so bit and he's out there like with his playing with his lighter and then he's like throwing big fireballs at the police cars and yeah. stuff like that like they do a good job of showing somebody that's slightly out of his element and makes a couple of bad choices and has to kind of live with some of the consequences that's it's well done and uh it's uh yeah all in all the movie was uh, it was solid it was just it was it was good the ending i thought was i agree it was a little weak um i i think the problem with this movie is maybe the first movie because yes the first movie had basically no expectations in a sense yeah and outperformed oh and it was a really good like oh my gosh we can do this and when the second one came it probably had a high bar set to it that was going to be really hard to live up to and so people had that expectation they wanted it and it was good just not I think to the bar that had been set by oh, the yeah. previous one. You have that with all sequels for the yeah. most part, except for maybe you know Terminator Two, for example, which was somehow immensely better than the first one. Yeah, um, and one of the best movies of all time. That's I agree. A, another discussion, but um, then you get into so like like I said, I, it, it's important to have this evolution because the third X Men movie comes out, which is related to this one. And it's it's like it was like almost like a a downward spiral because yeah. they also did you know once again we're going to go back to it we're going to do X Men Origins Wolverine yeah <sighs> positive points but mostly laughable yeah so the first one just set the bar so high that it was easy to fail yeah. I think going after that and that's what you saw with this immediate release after it and there's another like it's not a great movie but it's, it's not, fun it's, a, it's got it's some great movie. spots and it's mostly enjoyable the best comic book movie of 2003 yeah <laughs> <laughs> not saying much but uh, top of the heap yes it was do you agree with our uh, choices you should let us know we're on of course facebook we are pudding guys we are on twitter uh, real pudding guys we are on instagram Again, Pudding Guys, you can even pop over to our Patreon and support us for just a dollar a month. Help us create new content, find new people to talk to, maybe even upgrade our equipment so that uh, we can give you the best possible product. And uh, yeah. Another microphone. (laughs) One of these days, we'll do it. Um, But uh, if if nothing else, leave us some uh, commentary on the website. We even have a forums area. I try and keep an eye on that and respond when I can. Um, But, uh, you know, just let us know what you think and let us know about potential subjects. That's one thing we haven't mentioned in the last couple of shows. But if there's something you'd like us to discuss, leave us. uh, We have a form right on the website. uh, Submit a request or go onto the forums and odds are good. We'll probably be up for talking about anything that's geeky and fun. Uh, same goes with the social media stuff too like if you want to put a suggestion so uh something gets thrown up on twitter something gets thrown up on uh, you know not vomited that's not what i'm talking about (laughs) Uh, put up on one of those things uh, instagram or whatever and you say why don't you do this 
I mean, no one ever comments or puts responses on really much of anything that we ever do. So if someone actually commented or put something on there, be like, it's like the world has yeah, changed here. So you, your chances are, if your uh, suggestion wasn't completely absurd, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. that we would probably like, okay, that sounds good. Let's try it. Yeah, definitely. But until next time, I'm going to just leave leave you with this. We've been talking about comic book movies. Uh, and specifically the history of the comic movies for nine episodes through this particular series. Don't forget about the origins. Take a look at the comics. Go to your local comic book shop. Check it out. Support them. Support the artists and the authors that make the stuff that ends up making it into movies. I mean, we only have the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now because we had Marvel. So definitely throw some, some money their way and some support and help us keep getting you know really good stuff that we can talk about. And until next time. That's right. We'll just leave it there. I'm not going to just mangle the end of this one.